Episode 62, Fractured Skulls, Tuesday, October 12, 2021. I love October. It's my favorite month of the year. I love this time of the year. How have you been this fine evening, sir? Uh, pretty good. I came to the realization that seeing as we're doing Halloween month, and when I say Halloween, I'm talking Michael Myers Halloween, I'm probably going to go to the Halloween parade as Michael Myers. Oh, you got yourself a, a Michael Myers mask? Yes, I already have the mask. I just got to get the jumpsuit and all that stuff. I also want to get something to make my eyes look super black so like my eyes don't see through the holes. Because I think the Thorn trilogy was the only ones where Michael Myers couldn't really see through uh, his eyes through the mask. But that was, in my opinion, what Michael Myers should look like. Even though the one in Halloween 4 looked like uh, a cheap uh, Wish version of Michael Myers. And that's one of my favorite ones of the, the bunch, even though it's hokey like most of them are. Mm. But yes, I do want to go as Michael Myers. This the mask that I have, I think it's uh, custom made. I bought it many years ago and it's still rocking good. Okay, because usually uh, a lot of Michael Myers masks I see on store aren't just aren't that good. Maybe oh, recently they've gotten a lot better. At least the ones I when I was growing up, like like ninety percent of them sucked. Well, maybe if I show it to you, like if I take a picture and show it to you, maybe uh, it's custom made. Somebody made it themselves. So, and I know um, there's websites that'll sell specific Michael Myers masks, like from Halloween one, Halloween two, Halloween four, Halloween five, Curse of Michael Myers, H two O Resurrection, and then the newer ones. Like, they're literally specific model. They'll even sell the one where, um... I'm almost sure you guys have reviewed Halloween 4, right? Yes, we did that last year. Alright, did you, uh, make mention of the one scene where Michael Myers' mask was pink? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I they even sell that version. Oh, wow, really? <laughs> they, sell the yep. they even sell the mask that Michael Myers wears in Halloween 5 when he picks up Tina and, uh... Tina wants to go get a pack of cigarettes, and he's wearing a mask to pose as her boyfriend, Michael. They even sell that one. It's crazy how specific they'll go for Michael Myers. But, yeah, uh, in case you were unaware, I out of, out of all the slashers, Michael Myers is my favorite. If you couldn't already tell. Oh, I, I don't think it was, it was clear enough, especially your love for the first film. I'm sure Ed has come on here and expressed his love. He probably loves it more than me because he's actually dressed up as Michael... I haven't dressed up as Michael for Halloween since fifth grade. I've only dressed up as him once. This will be the second time, and I'm only doing it just so that I can uh, scare a bunch of people. Just do the the walk and just turn at them and do the head tilt. I'll, I'll never forget one Halloween parade. Uh, there was a big dude who just dressed up. He, he, all he had was a Jason mask, and he went up to a Michael Myers lookalike, and he just went, Yo, Mikey, what's up, man? It's fucked up. What happened to your sister? I was like, okay. Before we get to our film discussion, which will be Halloween 2, we got a, a, a movie trailer to talk about uh, that, that just came out today for the world of horror, and that is Home Sweet Home Alone, coming soon at Disney+. Plus. This film is kind of like the first, the original, minus the enjoyment. The trailer dropped today, and uh, it was not good. From my favorite person of all time, Gunnery Sergeant Hartman. What is that? What the fuck is that? That was my exact reaction when watching that trailer. It was like, it's almost as if if you would have watched 
the original and remake of American, or not American Psycho, just Psycho. It's almost the same. Like, the lines are the same, the dialogue is the same, the formula is the same. I, I mean, I guess the formula I should have expected was going to be the same. But why in God's fucking name is the dialogue the same? It's almost tech for tech, literally the first movie. With a British kid playing the role similar to Kevin McAllister. And something tells me the, the traps are not going to be anywhere near as clever as the ones from the first two movies. And even the third one. Yeah, but you know what made those films work? It's, it's a timeless film. It's that... Kevin didn't have the ability to use a cell phone because they didn't exist. Because yeah. all, all you have to do is pick up a cell phone, call the police, and the movie's over. Well, not just that, but like, okay, so you got the first film, yeah, no cell phone, blah, blah, blah. The second film, they had to add a twist to it, which was he's not at home. He's in New York now. So now he has a different way of having to set up these traps. The third film didn't have Kevin. It had a new boy, and the villains were not Marv and Harry. It was four... Uh, People in a Die Hard movie. Yeah, and, and even the third one, uh, it gets a lot of flat. I did not hate the third one like everybody else did. I think it had its charm. It had some good stuff in there. I thought some of the traps were really nice. Uh, is it as good as the first two? Not even close, but I'll take that over what I just saw here. It was like, what the hell is this? It, it didn't feel... I was wondering to myself, was this a remake, in a way? Now, if it's a remake, I'll let it go. I still won't like it. I believe. A a reimagining is what they like to say. If it's that, okay, maybe I could forgive it a little, but it's still not something I'm going to go watch. Well, it's supposed to be on Disney Plus uh, exclusively for them, and during the trailer, I saw a cameo from uh, the actor that played Buzz in the first film. He plays a police officer... With the name tag McAllister. Wow. So is he still Buzz? Just now as a cop? All grown up? Now, wait. This is the original actor? Yes. Same actor that played Buzz in the first movie. He's in this film. He plays a cop and his name tag says McAllister. So I'm assuming he's playing the same character he played in the first movie. Just, you know, all grown up, obviously. That's fine and dandy, but if you're going to, like, well, to be fair, it's a trailer, so we don't know. But sprinkle some of the other characters as well. I mean, I can't, you can't bring the dad back because he died in real life. Um, But I would figure Kevin would be a better sprinkle of the original formula than Buzz. I mean, Buzz was a made, it was, out of all the McAllister kids that was not Kevin, I guess he was the other notable one. The only one I, I remember off the top of my head was um, the kid with the glasses who uh, got a chair smushed into his face when Pandemonium hit with the pizza. Yeah, uh, that was fun. <laughs> Yeah. Um, then there was the one, and the only reason I remember him was because he was in Pete and Pete. I forget his real actor name, but the guy who played Pete in Pete and Pete. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody else was like super interchangeable. Well, the problem with doing that is that you don't want to do too much of it because you don't want to have the Star Trek effect. You made a new Star Trek movie, and immediately in the first film, you get a cameo from Leonard Nimoy, the original Spock. To the point, once he came on screen, he stole the show from everyone else. You don't don't want to have that situation, and then before you know it, William Shatner comes on, then George Takai, 
And then all these, even though they're super old, they're still going to overshadow the, the new people you're trying to get over. Because those actors are so iconic to those roles and to that franchise. And that's the problem with trying to sprinkle in too many throwbacks in, in this new film. Well, I'm not even saying they had to be main characters. They could be, like, just there. I mean, really, the main people in Home Alone that you think of, well, let me speak for myself, is Kevin, Marvin, Harry. Those yeah. are the three. So those are the only ones that would really take away, in my opinion. Maybe the mother. I would say maybe Captain or Harry, if she showed up, she... Yeah, I'd she... would be cool to see them again in those roles. Or, or who's the uncle that said, look what you did, you little jerk? I, I don't remember the actor's names. Honestly, I think I, I've always seen him in, like, two other movies. Yeah, I haven't seen him in much. I just remember that he's, like, a spoiled uncle. He's funny, though. He, he was yeah. definitely funny in those movies. That's the thing about that movie, the original. It has so many <laughs> memorable characters, just the uncle alone. Well, even in the second movie, when the, uh, I think it was the second one, when they were supposed to go to Miami, <laughs> and they go to the hotel, and he's like, it didn't look this bad on our honeymoon? <laughs> God damn. He was, he was fun. Or when they were on the plane, and he loved the, the silverware, and he told his wife to put it in his put it in the bag. <laughs> put that in your purse. Yeah, fill it up, please. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh-uh. Fill it up. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. He reminds me like of a more reserved Vince McMahon. It's crazy. But the point we're trying to make here is that we're talking about Uncle Frank. And this new film has a lot to live up to. I mean, the original set the bar so high that even even with the second film, I, I enjoyed that movie too. It still didn't live up to the charm that the first one had. Well, yeah, it had a different charm. It was in New York. That's it the, was in a completely was, different environment, yeah. That's why I like it. It was in New York, and obviously, you can't go wrong having the the OG World Trade Center standing up there, obviously, many years before it got knocked down uh, due to a tragic event, but seeing that shot is just amazing. Uh, seeing his, uh, Kevin go into to the Christmas store is amazing. Because the Christmas store kind of reminds me of a Christmas version of F.A.O. Schwartz. If anybody remembers that, holy shit. But you see where we're going with this. So many memorable moments. Mem uh, the soundtrack, of the it was done by John Williams, one and two. Oh, yeah. The soundtrack, yeah. the charm, the wit, the characters, the jokes, the lines. There's so much to live up to. I mean, again, we're only judging this film by the trailer. But so far, I'm not impressed. As Hulk Hogan would say, it's, this doesn't work for me, brother. You know, you got to make a good first impression, but this, I don't know, man. I, I don't see this working. No, it's its definitely not going to work. And matter of fact, all this movie did was entice me during Christmas time uh, on my to-do list of all the movies to watch for Christmas. Nightmare Before Christmas, The Grinch, Home Alone 1 and 2, Jingle All the Way, It's a Wonderful Life. Those are my lists. Yeah. And maybe Bad Santa. Yeah. And and uh, for any Tim Allen fans, you guys may watch uh, The Santa Claus. And, and what was the one we did with the killer Santa Claus played by Goldberg? Oh, uh, was it back? No. Uh, God, I totally blanked on the name, damn it. Yes. It was a killer <laughs> Santa Claus. Yeah, he was a killer Santa Claus. I can't think of the damn name. Uh, okay. Well, we'll have to go back and look. But you get the point. 
But uh, yeah, we, you guys understand the point we made. To me, the trailer just feels like one of those TV Home Alone sequels that they made. Just it trailer gave me more of those vibes than the original. Even with seeing Buzz back, from the looks of it, still it's like uh Yeah, it's a skip. Yeah, it just feels like a nostalgia cashing with with him, them bringing him in, but. That was one trailer that dropped, and we're going to go from a bad trailer to a pretty good trailer. And that was the new Scream film, or also known as Scream 5, which is called Scream. I Why did they do this? Just call it Scream 5! You, you sound like the nerd, because he did a chronologically confused, where a lot of the movie titles, they just stopped numbering them for some reason. And it's just so weird. Rocky did the same thing. You had Rocky 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and then the 6th one came out, and then instead of calling it Rocky 6, they called it Rocky Balboa. Why? I I don't know. I mean, I mean, I think Critic also did the Rambo movies. It was First Blood, <laughs> Rambo First Blood Part 2, and then, then Tram- Rambo 3, then <laughs> Rambo, then Rambo The Last Blood. Yeah, it just completely took away the First Blood name. Could call it second blood. <laughs> well, it's it's all. If anybody was to do research on the Halloween films, they'd get so fucking confused because they'd be like, "Okay, so which Halloween is which?" Because of how many times they've completely uh, re- redone the timeline. I remember explaining this timeline to a couple friends of mine who don't watch the Halloween films, and I had to explain to them how many times they've just completely shit cans story arcs. And they looked at me like I had three heads, like, oh my god, how do you keep up with this? <laughs> and people say it's one of the best horror franchises of all time. Uh, the first one's great. I don't know about everything else. <laughs> I think it's the films that stand alone are fine. It's the fact that they just can't keep be consistent because the directors keep changing. Change the directors, change the writers. <laughs> change the times. Change the times. But, you know, to quickly uh, mention the screen trailer, you know, they didn't show too much, but I do like the addition that it's using more of, of the modern technology, how the killer can now, like, um, hack the doorbell to the point where it doesn't go, the alarm doesn't go off. And um, I, I I didn't, I saw this trailer on my, on my phone. I couldn't tell that was Selena Gomez in the opening intro. Uh, that was just some other actress that kind of looked like her. Mm-hmm. Because usually screams, they they use. I mean, they cast pretty well known actors. Well, and did they really do that for Scream Four? Well, Scream Four, you had um, the chick from Unfabulous, Emma Roberts. I know uh, Macaulay Culkin's brother was in it. Rory Culkin, which I think he was in Home Alone, actually. I don't and, know that's. Him. And uh, Hayden Patentier, or whatever her name is. Yeah, she was in. Uh, she was on Heroes. That was probably only big names. And you had Anthony Anderson, too. He was in that. Well, I I saw Scream 4 in theaters when it came out. And honestly, it's a redundant term that I've used on the show. I thought it was the drizzling shits. It was horrible. You know, I don't really remember that movie. I've seen it once. Yeah, I saw it. But I remember leaving that theater pretty... Annoyed at that I paid money to see it because it wasn't that good. Uh, I think that was Wes Craven's last final film he directed. Oh, yeah, before he passed away. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if he directed any TV stuff 
because I know you had the Screen TV series. I know he was a producer on that. I don't know if he directed any episodes, but mm. I, I don't know who's directing this new Screen movie, but the uh, trailer looked pretty good. Well, as I said, I don't Well, that's how I felt with the trailer. I don't know how you felt coming out of it. Trailer looked okay, but it's I don't see the need for another Scream movie. Like, what more could you possibly do with this franchise? Um, I mean, I saw that they're bringing back David Arquette, Courtney Cox, and uh, I forget the actor's name. Yeah, Nathan, Nathan Campbell. They brought them back. Um, but it's like, those three never get killed off. It's in... Uh, the only one that like survived past another movie was Randy Meeks, and he dies in the second one for whatever reason. They make him survive the first movie, but then for whatever reason kill him off in the second. That's something I don't understand with horror films. Like, why do you have a character flourish out in a movie and survive through the end, but then they get, just get unceremoniously killed in the next film? It, it, the prime example would be um, Rachel from Halloween 4 to 5. And Halloween 4 would get so emotionally invested in her character, she becomes an actually likable heroine. And then in Halloween 5, within the first 20 minutes, she gets stabbed in the freaking shoulder with scissors. Or, um... Yeah, even um, Nightmare on Elm Street 3. Uh, that's that's exactly what I was going to bring up. Yep, you, all those... You, we get introduced to all these characters. They go, you know, they win, they win us over in the end. They all defeat Freddy. And then within part 4... Right in the first 20 minutes, they all get killed off. Yeah, or, or same thing in Nightmare Part 4. I think the character's name was Dan Jordan. He survives to the very end. And then in the next movie, in the very beginning, that's where he gets the epic kill of being uh, entrapped in the bike in his dream. But in reality, he fell asleep at the wheel on a truck and gets killed. It's like, it's not them getting killed. It's that them getting killed in like the first 10, 20 minutes. It's why? I mean, we just got connected to that character, and now within the first 20 minutes, we're just supposed to just all of a sudden feel... Think of it like this. I think it was in... I can't remember if it was in Ted 1 or in Ted 2. The part where his arm gets ripped off? Like, that is so... Like, holy shit, even though it's just a teddy bear getting her arm ripped off, because it was towards the end after the emotional connection. Now, if it would have happened in the first 10 minutes, who would have given a fuck? I understand where you're coming from. Um, I don't be so. I wouldn't be surprised if they kill off like Courtney Cox or something in this movie, just just really for the sake of shock value. Oh, another character that was killed off unceremoniously. Uh, Taken three, Liam Neeson's wife that he gets back together with. They build the yep. story about how in the first movie they're separated, or they're divorced. The second movie I think is the one where they're actually connecting together again, and they both get taken. And in the third movie, the fir very first uh, 20 minutes, she gets killed off and he gets framed for her murder. Like, oh my god. Stop killing off main characters unceremoniously just to be unpredictable. Unpredictability is not the end-all be-all. And I think Scream relied on that with Randy Meeks. It was like, the unpredictability doesn't mean it's automatically good. It just means that we didn't see it coming. It doesn't mean that we liked it. So, are you excited for this new screen trailer? I mean, well, you said you thought it was all right. I, after the last one, I couldn't... There was really no need for another scream. Uh, two was... The first one was obviously the best. The second one was... It was okay. Third one was whatever. I don't even remember the third one all that well. 
Um, and the fourth one, obviously, you, you just heard my opinion on that. I didn't care for it at all. I thought it was the worst. But it just seems like this movie franchise is just wearing itself thin, personally, for me. Yeah, I, I was never excited for the Scream franchise. I liked the Scream movie, but I didn't really care for anything else that came after that. Scream, as a standalone film, was great. But it would be like if Cabin in the Woods, if you'd seen that film... Mm-hmm. Of course. By itself, it's a great film because it's a parody of horror films and, it, and it's taken the piss out of the whole uh, stereotype of horror films. But now imagine if they kept trying to make movie after movie after movie of Cabin in the Woods. Now you've got like four or five sequels of it. There's no need. The film by itself stands alone well. Was the only film that really needed to be made. Were the second and third one horrible to the point where I think they should be abolished? No, but it was like they were not necessary. So, we're probably going to get uh, at least two more movie trailers. There is at least three trailers to promote a film. Scream 5, I'm calling it Scream 5, is coming out in January, which is, I guess, I mean, they have no, there's no competition in January. January and February are usually kind of like the filler months when it comes to movies. You, you, you really don't get any big blockbusters during that time. Sometimes, some studios may throw out these B-rated horror films. Um, some of them may perform well, others may not. I know Escape Room, I think it was like a January type month, which performed pretty well. I, I know that got a sequel. I don't, I'm not sure how the sequel did or if it even came out yet. So we'll see uh, what happens with Scream 4. I guess they didn't want to release in, in October to have it compete with Halloween. Oh yeah, Halloween would have blew it out of the water. And that's it for movie trailers. And before we get to today's film discussion, we got to promote the Patreon, patreon.com slash chill network for $1. You get full access to this episode along with other great past episodes. We are also on Instagram at just chillin network, Twitter at just chillin net. You can find us on Facebook at just chillin network. You can follow my partner monoxide on Twitter at monoxide YouTube and on Instagram at Owen underscore heart underscore guy. You can follow me on both Instagram and Twitter. I'm also on Snapchat as well, at Silent Poison. With that said, let's get to today's film discussion. The 1981 Halloween 2. It is a sequel to the 1978 John Carpenter classic. John Carpenter did write this film with his producer, Deborah Hill. He did not direct this film because he had uh, other commitments. He, I believe at this time he was directing Escape from New York. So director Rick Ro- Rosenthal stepped into the chair. Rick also directed another Halloween sequel uh, that came out 20 years later. Halloween Resurrection! Oh, God. Great man. Great man. <laughs> Great man. Jamie Lee Curtis and Donald Pleasance returned to their iconic roles as Laurie Strode and Sam Loomis. Also, Charles Seifert returns to this film as playing the same sheriff as he did in the first film, Sheriff Leah Brackett. Let's talk about Halloween 2. John Carpenter um, did not want to do a sequel to this movie. Uh, he felt the first one was fine, but he needed money, so he wrote the script anyway. And one and the big reveal in this film, Halloween 2, was that um, Michael Myers and Laurie Strode are related. They Brother. are siblings. Yeah. Brother and sister. They had to give a reason for uh, Michael chasing her, but I felt like her going to the Myers house was reason enough. Especially since Michael 
is just pure evil incarnate, you would think there doesn't really need to be, <laughs> excuse me, any more of a reason, but for whatever reason, they gave a reason. Well, well, let me start saying, how do you feel this film works? Do you feel Halloween 2 works better immediately watching ap watching this after the first film or watching this on its own? Not sure how to answer that question because, like, this film was so perplexing to me. It was trying to be a slasher, but it was also trying to be like how the first film was. It had elements of the first film trying to sprinkle that in. But meanwhile, it was also trying to... Because this film had way more kills in it, and the kills were way more violent in this film than they were in the first one. Mm -hmm. But... It's, there was still some of that John Carpenter-esque element trying to build some of these characters up to really get you to be emotionally behind them, which is something that I really liked about the first film. So it's like, I don't really know how to answer that question because some of the things that, that from the first film they got rid of, like for example, Michael's heavy breathing. They got rid of that. He doesn't breathe heavy in this film. Um, secondly, it was... Well, now you know that Michael is way harder to kill than he was in the first film. Because uh, in the first film, you just think that he's a deranged killer. And there's certain points when he gets stabbed, you're like, okay, maybe he could survive that. Or he, maybe Jamie didn't really uh, stab her as hard. Or Lori, excuse me. We're going back to this shit again. Oh, this again. <laughs> um, Lori uh, stabs him, but maybe she didn't stab all the way. So you can see that it wasn't until Dr. Loomis shot him as he said, I shot him six times. He's not human. And then he falls from the balcony, but yet he just gets up and just runs away. That's the reveal that, yeah, this is more than just a man. This is a monster. A monster that just somehow can withstand a lot of pain. But it, it that element is gone now because now if you're watching Halloween 2, you know that, okay, Michael can withstand more than gunshots. So it's like, I don't... Take your pick. It, I don't think there's any right or wrong answer on that one. I think, yeah, you could watch this theoretically right afterwards if you wanted to, but it's not... I, I don't think it'll make that much of an effect if you watch it separately. Because in the end, you got to think of it this way. This film does give you a rough... Uh, backstory to the first film towards the end and replays it for this to give you an idea of where we left off yes it's this film immediately uh follows after the events of the first film the same night all this is happening uh, on halloween night in 1978 october 31st yeah uh, it starts right where the first one ended uh you, you hear loomis shoot michael seven times instead of six which is impossible because no handgun in 1981 could shoot seven rounds, only six. You shoot six and then you got to reload. And Dr. Well, Loomis did not reload. <laughs> Dr. Loomis nor the directors got their math skills from Scott Steiner. What the fuck do you want? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what to tell you there. But yeah, they but, shot him. He got up and, and just ran away. Yep, ran away, and then that's what the whole, this whole film is based on, trying to find Michael. Uh, Lori's taken to the hospital. That's where most of the setting of the film takes place, in the hospital, while Dr. Loomis continues to find Michael uh, throughout the streets of Hattonfield. There is one thing that throws me off, and it's just, it 
I, maybe somebody could just say it's the unpredictability nature of Michael. So we get a scene where you see Michael walking around Haddonfield. And there's one part where he sneaks into an old couple's house. And the old woman is like watching the TV from the kitchen. And Michael just happens to sneak in, grab the butcher knife, and just look at the old woman and then just walks out. So he doesn't do anything to that old couple. Oh, and meanwhile, he leaves a trickle of his blood, and then the woman, when she's trying to grab the knife, sees the blood and just starts screaming. But then, a girl, a random girl that we don't know, hears the screaming, she goes into a house, and then Michael just randomly stabs her. So it's like, wait a minute. Michael will randomly stab this young girl, but when she when he walks into a house where there's two old couple, he'll leave them alone. Okay, he has the thing with the elderly. He doesn't kill the elderly. Oh, but he kills dogs. <laughs> hey, dogs, young children, young teenagers. He just doesn't and kill them. And then we come to find out later on he does kill older people. Because, uh, well, that, that's the Thorn trilogy, and that was beyond John Carpenter, but... Why they were left alive, I don't know. Yeah, he just left them alive. He didn't even do anything to them. He just looked at them and then just walked away. He just he just wanted the knife. and said, you know what? I, I'm going to let y'all live. Thank you. Drive through. By the way, the, the budget for this film was uh, $2.5 million, which is way more than what the first one had. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it made uh, over $25 million at the box office. It was distributed by Universal Pictures, and so now they had a big budget behind them. But in all in all, it still felt it felt like the first film a lot. Dean Cundy came back to do the cinematography. He did it for the first film, came back to do it again. So a lot of the same players came back, for the most part. I did not like the... Uh this version of the Halloween theme is much the first. Ah, uh, you know, I was just about to ask you because Anthony versus Evil Dead felt the same way. He didn't he didn't like the score for this film. Now you got everyone's gotta realize, but the score for all the Halloween films going forward, they're all just covers of the first one. Yeah. And nothing's gonna capture the first one as far as fear. Uh, those actually induced fear in me when I watched them. Halloween four I thought it was okay, but it was it's more just like, oh, that's a cool cover type of deal. Um, same thing with Halloween 5. Halloween 6, when I was younger and I saw it, the, the covers were cool. But looking back, it was just like, they were trying to be too cool, you know? Like, we gotta make the heavy metal version. Like, dude, give me a fucking break. It doesn't need to be that complicated. Um, but anyways, getting sidetracked. It wasn't horrible, but I just didn't care for it as much. Well, you figure with a sequel, they probably want to up the body count, up the gore. You know, when a sequel, you know, you got to be bigger. That's always the, I guess, the mindset. All right, when did this film come out? 81, right? 81, yeah. All right. When did the trend of gore really start to kick into full gear? I'd say the late 60s. I'd say definitely during the, I guess, the Grindhouse movies. When that's when the gore, the nudity, the sex, all, all that was real. I mean, all those Grindhouse films were making it trendy to the point Hollywood had to cash in on it because they knew that was basically the next step of where to go after color. If you know the first film was well-received and it didn't have that amount of gore and, and it's considered a classic to this day, why did this film really need to have... Uh, all right, to be fair... The kills that Michael does here is nowhere near as outrageously ridiculous as they would become in the Thorn trilogy, where he becomes superhuman. It's just that some of these kills are just 
completely fucked up. Um, I think th there was one kill where he uh, bludgeons a cop in the head with a hammer. Yeah, a security guy, yeah. Yeah, security guy. He, uh, he strangles uh, one of the guys with a cord. He dips a woman's face in uh, a very hot boiling water. But I think the only real ridiculous kill, and it's actually the most iconic kill in the whole movie, is when the nurse sees Lori Strode. Hey, I said it, Lori. Thank you. <laughs> uh, when he, the nurse sees Lori Strode, she turns around, and Michael has like that doctor pick, and just like stabs her in the back and lifts her up with his bare hand. I think that was the only one that was a little bit too outrageous, but it's considered the most iconic kill in the film. The kills here were fine. They weren't overly ridiculous. Oh, and there was one where he stuck needles into a girl's head. I don't know what he put into the needles. What do you put, like, uh, drainer fluid or some shit? Must have. I think the probably the goriest scene in the film was when the one of the, um, the paramedic guys found one of the nurses and, like... Her blood was all over the floor. And remember, he slipped on it and banged his head. And they're like, oh, you numb nut. Yeah. And the funny thing is, is that you see him later walk into the car when Laurie Strode's trying to escape. And then he just passes out. Like, did he really die? I don't know, because he was never seen again after that. Yeah, and it's not like he died. It's like he just fell on his head. I think, yeah, I think he was just traumatized over what he saw. And then just like, uh, maybe he got a concussion from hitting his head. And then just passed out? Who the hell knows? It was His, his was, like, so unexplained. Yeah, because after the movie, I guess they are kind of hinting at a... I don't, I don't know if I would say a love interest, but obviously the guy had a crush on her. Yes. And she, and it's not like she wasn't receptive to it. There was definitely something being built there. But it's... His name is Jimmy, by the way. Uh, funny enough. Um, but, yeah, it's... They built this love interest there, and it really wasn't followed up upon towards the end. And really, th that's the gist of the film. Like, you're they're in a hospital. Here's the, the thing: most of it's in the hospital or in Hadfield, because we're also glossing the other side of the story. We're talking about the hospital part, but we're not talking about Doctor Loomis as much, where he's running around town trying to find Michael, and uh, Mister Brackett is thinking that he's crazy well they for whatever reason somebody else dressed like michael myers that night yeah <laughs> same get up and everything the mask the 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 garbage truck get up or whatever the hell he was wearing he had the same exact get up and so he runs away like what the hell and then the car crashes into him and he engulfs in flames and so he tries to find dental records to make sure it was Michael, but he was almost sure it's not. Um, and then obviously Mr. Brackett, the cop, finds his daughter from the first movie, Annie Brackett, dead. And obviously he's freaking out, blaming Dr. Loomis, saying, this is all your fault, you should have kept them captive, blah, 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 blah. And Dr. Loomis is like, I did. I said to keep them captive. Nobody wanted to listen. And uh, that's when, uh, what's her name from the first movie came in? The, uh, I was going to talk about the nurse from the first movie, the one that got ripped out of her car. She was in this film to uh, tell Dr. Loomis that a marshal's out for him to go back to the uh, the hospital that he works at. Because mm -hmm. he's causing scenes. 
And that's when uh, he finds out that uh, Laurie was taken to a hospital. And he knew that that's where Michael was going to go. Yes, he put a gun to the cop's head when they were driving back and forced him to turn around. And then they go off to the hospital. And one other thing I wanted to mention, uh, there is a scene where, um, I, uh, and when we're taken to that scene, you see uh, someone uh, interviewing, I guess, one of the residents. One of the reporters was played by good old Dana Carvey. That's right. This is one of Dana Carvey's uh, short cameo movies. No, this was his first film he did with Mike My- Michael Myers. Yeah, different Michael Myers. Different Michael Myers. Different Michael Myers entirely. Of course, uh, of course, we uh, see the sheriff and he finds his daughter's body, his corpse, uh, Annie Bracken, and and I think that was the last time we saw the sheriff in the movie. Yeah, he kind of just goes home traumatized, knowing that his uh, his daughter was murdered. Very upset by that. But yeah, she was the only one that appeared. You don't see Bob. You don't see uh, the other one. You don't even see uh, Tommy Doyle or Lindsay. They don't. No. Uh, well, they appear in the beginning, but that that was just um, that was just the same footage from the first movie. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, they don't show up again. I understand why they didn't show up again because this was filmed three years later, and they were children, and obviously children grow up a lot yeah. faster than adults do. So, I guess. Yeah. So uh, we're taking. So we're back to the hospital, and I gotta ask you, why is there? You you mentioned you you brought up the body count. So you tell me there's only one security guard working this entire hospital on Halloween night. Where the yeah. hell is everybody else? Where are all the nurses, all the doctors, all the staff, the janitor? Where the hell is everybody? This is the emptiest hospital I've ever seen. Yeah, patients, you didn't see much of them at all. It was just like a very empty-ass hospital. It was almost like if you were playing, um, what's that zombie game that was big? It was kind of like Dawn of the Dead, but it was in a mall. Same thing. Dead Rising. Dead Rising. It was like Dead Rising in a hospital. It, it, there was no rhyme or reason for it. It's. I, I get why they had to do it in a hospital, because if they're going to settle it right after Halloween or right after the events of the first movie, then yeah, you got to do it right at the hospital because it's like Lori is injured. So she. fell downstairs. I mean, this poor girl. She went through a lot, and then she's going to go through more. And this time when she runs. She's got an Achilles heel because now she's got to freaking try and run away. And that's really, uh, it's kind of like the rest of this film. She She's running from Michael, goes outside. That's when she runs back into Jimmy, uh, the paramedic guy who's traumatized, who bumped his head. He passes out. Uh, his head hits the horn, which gives, gives away uh, Lori's hiding location. Michael comes out. She continues to run and sees uh, Dr. Loomis and, and his crew show about the hospital. She goes inside. Eventually, they find her. Loomis shoots uh, Michael again. The nurse uh, goes back to the car to to get help, to to go on a little walkie-talkie and get some help. And the cop goes up to Michael. The numbnut doesn't kick the knife out of his hand because that's the first thing any logical cop would do is, is dispose of the weapon in, in their hand and make sure they're dead. And if, God forbid, they're still alive, they can't reach their weapon. So, so, that, so now that you have the advantage, since you have your gun... But no, he doesn't do that. And of course, Michael's not dead. And he stabs the cop. So now Loomis and uh, Laurie are running. But um, it just hit me. I don't think it was ever real to Laurie that her and Michael are related. Um, it's never told Laurie that, hey, that's your brother. Uh, well, she started having apparitions in her dreams. And 
And when you see those flashback scenes, you would have to think Lori is like, what, nine, ten? You, like, you, you don't remember that? I mean, I don't know. Maybe she That's... blocked it out of her memory because there, there are there are certain people that I know that have not retained a lot of information from their childhood, depending on how traumatizing it was. Uh, but she seems so much like an older child. It wasn't like she was like a little girl or a fetus or a baby. Right, but even as an older child, if it, if it's that traumatizing. But then again, it was never explained. It was never explained, so I, I don't know. But the most ridiculous scene comes when we get into the room where Michael stabs uh, Dr. Loomis. And he's about to go after Lori, and Lori has the gun and shoots Michael square in the eyes. And then Michael is bleeding from the eyes, and then he proceeds to cover his eyes and starts swinging aimlessly. It is the most ridiculous scene where he's just like swinging around aimlessly and they have to turn on these gas pumps just to get Michael to get away from a certain subject from stabbing him because he's just swinging aimlessly. And then eventually that's when Dr. Loomis makes the uh, sacrifice to kill himself so that he can end Michael. So he lights a match and the room explodes. uh, Lori's out of the room. Michael walks out, burning to a crisp, falls down, and then that's the supposed end of Michael. Yep, and then we're taking, uh, yeah, that was kind of the end of the film. And Lori, I guess she's going to get transferred to Nella Hospital. Twice as traumatized as she was at the end of the first movie, but she's still alive. She's still the final girl. And Mm. that was uh, 1981's Halloween 2. I think it's a solid film. Obviously, it's not as good as the first one, but I think it's a solid follow-up and was, I guess, quotations, a solid conclusion to the story of Michael Myers. I'm surprised I have not watched this film as much as I did when I was younger. This was the least watched film of the Halloween franchise that I I have personally watched. I don't know why. Can't really answer that question. Just haven't. But yeah, it is a fine film. For what it is, it's definitely not as good as the first, but it's a great story that Dr. Loomis sacrifices himself to save everybody from Michael. Until you watch Halloween 4 and realize, oh wait, not only did Michael survive the whole thing and is super powerful, but Dr. Loomis even survived the whole thing. Depending on how you feel, the fourth one may have ruined that uh, idea for you. But I was not opposed to the Thorn trilogy. It's just that the directors didn't even have an idea of where they were going with it, so it's disappointing to hear that. But that being said, this was a solid film. Nowhere near as good as the original. Just it, it is, It's a good thing it wasn't a complete dud. There were great things about it. There were things that were a little shoddy. But I can't be on my soapbox like I was when we were reviewing the first one and talk about how great it was. Because there were things I liked. They took elements from the first movie. They had a little bit of gore. I'm not opposed to gore. Sometimes there's days where I'm just like, you know what? Let me pop in a horror film that's all about gore. And that's when Jason comes in. I just want to see Jason fucking kill some camp counselors. Fuck it. Let's let's enjoy it. But if I want to watch some real, legit, great writing, the first movie is where it's at. The second movie, it's fine. It's a good sequel but did not live up to the original and was going to have a tough time. Unfortunately, sequels never live up to the original, with the exception of Terminator 2, Godfather Part 2, and The Dark Knight. 
I can't really think of much other than that. Yeah, but this is definitely, even for a horror sequel, is one of the better ones. I mean, you don't get many of those these days, rarely. You know, I'm pretty sure you do have some underrated ones out there. But this is definitely one of the better Halloween sequels, in my opinion. For now, until, what, six or seven years later when they made a sequel, Halloween 4? But wait a minute. But guys, what about Halloween 3? And that film is going to be up next on our list for next week as we will be reviewing Halloween 3. Season of the Witch, which came out one year later in 1982. I'm not even going to follow up with that. We'll wait till this episode comes out. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of that. <laughs> I'm gonna When I get to the editing, I'm going to use that theme. Though. That's going to be our opening theme. Oh, wonderful. Glad to know that it, not only are we warping our minds with Earworm for that song, we're going to do it to our lovely audience as well. I know it's been a while since you've seen Halloween 3. I know you weren't the biggest fan of it. But once we review, once you watch it again, we'll see if your uh, opinions have changed or if they're still the same. Okay, uh, I guess. you got to remember, at the time that I watched this, I was a completely different person. This is at a time where I would have hated great films like Suburban Sasquatch. Uh, uh, what was it? Slacks. I would have hated those films. But now, I, I'm a changed man, so... I'm a very happy man. I'm gonna I'm gonna assume you haven't seen this film at easily over a decade. Well, that's a, that's a safe bet. That's probably a safe bet. Okay. Well, fans, you heard it here. Coming up next, Halloween three. Until then, for Monoxide, I'm Terminator Travis. This was a great uh, dis- uh, movie discussion. Can't wait to do it again next week. Halloween season continues. <laughs> Evil!